You are now listening to the First Baptist Church of America's podcast. If you have any questions about our church, please check us out online at fbcamericas.org. This week we have a sermon entitled, The Wisdom of the Magi, from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Let's listen in. Amen. Thank you, Jonathan. It's been good to have our family home uh, this week, and I know you've been gathering with your family as you've been able to, and uh, some family are still here. And, um, you know, Christmases don't stay the same, do they? It seems like the older we get, the more they change. For some reason, I don't know. But uh, this is the time of year that's always a little depressing for me. And I don't know if it's so much depression as it is a feeling of having uh, missed something and wondering what I've missed. You ever feel that way? In all the busyness that you just feel like there's something that you've missed somehow. And we work and work and work preparing for Christmas and then it comes and it's gone. And all of that work, it seems like the brakes have just put on, been put on everything. And somehow it seems that the Christmas season is longer, yet I experience less of it. And maybe that's an age thing too, I don't know that it's longer, it starts nearly at uh, Halloween. But somehow, I don't sense as much of it. I was talking to a mom in our preschool last week, and uh, they just recently moved to Georgia. And uh, I think from up north somewhere, but she said that um, she has never had a Christmas as busy as this one. She said, it seems like down here, everybody wants to have a get-together. And she just can't say no to any of them. And she was talking about how busy she has been. And somehow the busyness of Christmas has become a part of our experience. Just the busyness of the season. Well, I hope you've had some time to enjoy the season and also to take some time to do some reflecting about what the season really means. And I would guess that Christmas is perhaps the most sentimental time of the year for many people. You can just say certain words or phrases and people get all nostalgic and sentimental. It's like scratching the neck of a cat and the cat starts purring. You know, you say certain words and people start purring with uh, being so sentimental. You can say candlelight. People start purring at that. Candlelight. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. A baby in swaddling clothes. Peace on earth. Silent night. Holy night. Baby Jesus. And words and phrases that are unique to your own family traditions. You just hear those words and you feel all warm inside. Somehow. Let me ask you this. When it comes to the truth about the birth of Jesus, would you rather have comfort or clarity? Comfort or clarity? I think if we're really honest, most of us would likely say, give me comfort. Some of the things that have become a part of our Christmas story are not actually part of the the true story. They just have become part of it. So, 
just realize that there are two celebrations at this time of year. There are two celebrations. There is the secular holiday that is Christmas. The secular holiday. And then there is the Christmas that is the commemoration of the birth of Jesus. And I would say to you, enjoy both of them. Enjoy both of them. We don't have to throw out the secular just to maintain what is commemorating the birth of Jesus. We can enjoy both of them. Just realize that there are two celebrations going on at the same time. And know the difference. Know the difference. By the way, there's a a video that Andy Cook has posted on his Experience Israel Now website. It's about a 28-minute video that talks about and, and clarifies the true story of the birth of Jesus. And I would recommend that to you. It would help you uh, delineate between the two celebrations. For instance, there might have been animals present, but we don't know that. The scripture doesn't say anything about animals at the birth of Jesus. We just assume that there were because there was a manger, which was a feeding trough. They were probably not in a cozy wooden barn behind the house. More likely, they were in a natural cave or shelter that was naturally cut into the hillside around Bethlehem. So see, little things like that, many of those things are not actually in the story, but they give us comfort at this time of year. And some of you are saying, well, great, now you're going to say that Mary didn't ride a donkey and snow wasn't falling. Well, she probably walked the 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and it didn't happen in the wintertime because the sheep wouldn't have anything to eat and the shepherds wouldn't be out in the fields in the wintertime. Well, that brings me to the Magi, traditionally referred to as the wise men. They weren't kings, as we just sang about. We don't know how many there were, and they didn't come to Bethlehem until much later, maybe a year or two years later after Jesus was born. But when the Magi came is not important. It's that they came and why they came that's important. Epiphany commemorates the appearance of Christ to the Magi, which is symbolized in this passage about the Magi, who represent all Gentiles. That's us. But it's not enough that he is revealed to us. What matters is how we respond to him who has been revealed. That's what really matters. Hannah has read our passage today, Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Verses 1 and 2 and 9 through 12 focus on the Magi, while verses 3 through 8 focus on King Herod and the religious leaders. So from Herod and the religious leaders, we see wrong responses to Jesus. Herod responded with hostility and hatred. Because he thought the baby who was born king of the Jews would be a threat to his position and to his power. He was the um, illegitimate king of Israel. He was a Moabite. And he had been appointed king by Rome. 
And by the time that Jesus was born, Herod was near the end of his life. But he was so paranoid that he even saw a baby as a threat to his power and his position. And that's why he gave the order uh, to kill all the babies in that region just to get the one baby. Well, Herod was ruthless. He murdered his wife, his mother-in-law, three of his sons, just because he saw them as a threat to his power. And that's why all of Jerusalem was disturbed when they heard about this and saw what was going on because they knew Herod's reputation and they knew what he was capable of doing. Well, like Herod, just like Herod, there are still people today who want to destroy Jesus. They see him as a threat and want to kill his influence in their life so that they can keep control of their own life. So they don't want the influence of Jesus and they want to kill that influence. That's what Herod wanted to do. And I'd say to you, don't let that be your response to Jesus because it's deadly. Another wrong response is that of the religious leaders. They responded with indifference. They were so engrossed in their temple rituals and legalism that they missed the one they claimed to be waiting for, God's Messiah. They missed him. Now they obviously knew the prophecy because they quoted Micah 5.2 in verses 5 and 6. They knew the prophecy, but they didn't even investigate something that they were supposedly waiting and watching for. And it's interesting that it's the illegitimate King Herod, not the religious leaders, who made the connection between the King of the Jews and the Messiah. It was Herod that called the religious leaders together. Religious leaders didn't do that. Herod called them. So he's the one that made that connection. So here are strangers from a foreign land. They, they came looking for the king of the Jews. And the religious leaders knew that he was to be born in Bethlehem, yet they didn't bother to go the, the five miles to see if the Messiah had actually been born. They didn't care to go just five miles to, to verify that what they had been looking for all of their life, they didn't go. These religious leaders were so satisfied with their religion that they had quit longing for their Messiah. And there are people still today who are so satisfied with their life as it is that they see no need for Jesus. There's no longing for a Savior because they are their own Savior. And they say, I'm just going to live my life my way. They don't want a Savior. And I'd say to that, don't let that be your response either. Don't be indifferent to Jesus because that response is just as deadly. You and I should be longing for our Savior and more of Him every day of our lives. We should be longing for Him. So there are two wrong responses that we see in this passage, but the point of the passage is the right response of the Magi. 
And we see through the Magi the wisdom of, one, an acknowledgement, a search, and thirdly, a surrender. An acknowledgement, a search, and a surrender. So as we think about the wisdom of the Magi, uh, think first of all that they acknowledged that there was a king. Magi is the plural of a word that means astrologers, magicians, or sorcerers. Now, isn't that strange? Isn't that odd? That here we're talking about astrologers and magicians and sorcerers. And when this word, this very word, is used in other places in the Bible, like Acts 13.6, it's very negative. It's always in a negative connotation. That's Acts 13.6 is when Paul confronted a sorcerer, same word, a sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus and called him a son of the devil. Why then does Matthew include this story of astrologers and sorcerers in his gospel and why does he do it in such a positive light? Because it happened that way. Matthew is not writing fiction. It happened that way. To Jewish and Christian readers, the mention of Magi would have raised red flags immediately. But Matthew tells us of their search for the king because they searched for the king. That's why it's included. And the Magi coming is a reminder to us that anyone, anyone can come to Jesus. Jew and Gentile, male and female, religious and irreligious, rich and poor, intelligent and not so intelligent, strong and weak, it doesn't matter. Anyone can come to Jesus. And the Magi showed wisdom by simply acknowledging that a great king had been born. Now, I think that's significant. Because these men were the intelligentsia of the day. They were the scholars. And they acknowledged that there was something, someone greater than themselves. They acknowledged that. Wisdom itself begins with an acknowledgement of God. Psalm 111.10 and then several Proverbs say the same thing. They tell us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of of wisdom. So the wisest thing that you can do, the wisest thing that you can do is to acknowledge the reality of the sovereign God who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the wisest thing that you can do. But that acknowledgement is only the first step. The abstract must become real. Which brings me to the second point about the Magi. And that is that they searched for the king. They acknowledged the king, that he had been born, and they took the next step and searched for that king. I've already said that the Magi were intelligent men. They were thinkers, and they studied the stars as well as philosophy and literature. So somehow they knew to be watching for the evidence, which was the star. And I believe, as Joanna said, that was the Holy Spirit that guided them through that star. So from somewhere in the east, we don't know where, 
but from somewhere in the east, these men came to Jerusalem looking for the great king that had been born. And Matthew makes a point in verse 1 to say that Jesus was born during the time of King Herod. And in the video I mentioned to you, Andy Cook, he makes the observation that Jesus was born in the shadow of King Herod, right in the shadow of it. Herod wanted it all. He believed he deserved it all, and he took it all. That was Herod. His, his wealth and his power was unmatched in all the world, and he ruled from Jerusalem. So why not look for this great king in Jerusalem? But then, on the opposite side of that, the true king was born in lowly Bethlehem. And instead of coming to take, he came to give. Two kingdoms that stand in complete opposition to one another. Herod's kingdom is of this world, but Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. One kingdom will always decay. One kingdom will always increase. Which kingdom are you a part of? If you are of this worldly kingdom, then you will see nothing but decay. If you are of Jesus' kingdom, you will see nothing but increase. Because the, the two kingdoms stand in opposition to one another. The point is that the Magi had the wisdom to look past Jerusalem to go to Bethlehem. And notice that when they made the decision to leave Jerusalem and keep searching, what happened? The star reappeared. It's almost like an act of faith brought the star back out to continue guiding them. If they had decided to stay in Jerusalem, then there would be no point of the star to guide them. But by faith, they made that step to leave Jerusalem, to keep searching, and the star reappeared leading them to Jesus. See, life is full of decisions. It's full of decisions. Some decisions will leave us where we are, while other decisions lead us closer to God. The Magi had made their decision to find the king, and they didn't stop seeking in spite of the worldly distractions around them. They had already made that decision. And nothing would stop them from finding the object of their search, the true king. And the only reason they found the king was because the king came to be found by those who search. You know that, don't you? The king came to be found. And scripture tells us that for those who seek, they will find. The finding is in the seeking. As I said last week, don't follow your gut. Don't follow your intuition. Follow Jesus and you found God. Follow Jesus and you have found God. Well, the Magi showed wisdom by acknowledging the king, that there is a great king, and that they showed wisdom in searching for the king. But also, thirdly, when they surrendered to the king. 
It's one thing to acknowledge the king. It's another to search for the king. But the most important part of it all is what you will do when you find him. When he has been revealed to your mind and your heart, what will you do when you see him? Will you do like so many people have done in the Bible? They see him and they walk away. They turn their back on him. Look at verse 11. This is the right response. We saw the wrong response in Herod and the, uh, the religious leaders, but the right response is, is uh, what the Magi did. Verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So they surrendered to his lordship by bowing down in worship. That's an outward expression of what's going on in one's mind and heart. It's an outward expression of what's going on inside. Herod's worldly kingdom is all about getting all you can for self. It's still like that. Herod's worldly kingdom is still with us. And it's all about getting all you can get for yourself. Jesus' kingdom is all about being willing to give up all you have just to get Him. Because He's worth everything you will give up to get Him. He's worth it. And notice that the giving of the gifts to Jesus is the result of the surrender and the worship. That comes first and then the gifts came. The surrender and worship must precede whatever we give him. And notice too that the Magi were content to worship Jesus. They didn't worship Mary. They didn't worship Joseph. They didn't worship the star. They didn't worship the place. They didn't worship the gifts. Jesus was their focus, as he is still our focus. So I'd ask you this morning, are you holding on to something that keeps you from surrendering and bowing down to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Are you holding on to anything, whether that is an opinion, an idea, a talent, or a gift? Or what is it that you're holding on to that keeps you from bowing down and surrendering in worship of the great King? For some of you who love history, there was a British Royal Navy Admiral. His name was Admiral Horatio Nelson. Some of you may remember his name from your history classes, but late 18th century, he fought in the Napoleonic Wars and uh, he became quite the hero, had quite a reputation of his strategy, but not only that, his compassion. He was known as a compassionate man. And it was customary that uh, the defeated commander, whoever, whatever forces Admiral Nelson defeated, the defeated commander would be brought onto Admiral Nelson's ship for a formal surrender of the sword. And on one occasion, a commander was brought aboard, and this defeated commander knew of Nelson's reputation as being compassionate. 
and kind. And he thought he would play on that compassion and kindness. And in arrogance, he walked across the deck and threw his hand out to shake Admiral Nelson's hand. Nelson remained with his hand by his side. And he said, first the sword, then the hand. He demanded surrender first before anything else. Now think about that. There are people today who tried to do the same thing with Jesus. They know of his kindness and his love and they arrogantly hold on to their swords and their treasures. And they try to treat Jesus as an equal, as a good old buddy, a good old friend. When the only proper response to Jesus Christ is surrender of everything that you have and bowing down to Him in worship. If Jesus is the Messiah, then the only logical response to Jesus is surrender and bowing down to Him. So as we stand on the eve of 2020, would you go into 2020 with wisdom? Wisdom, the same wisdom that the Magi used. Would you acknowledge Jesus as King? He's King of everything. If He is not, then nothing matters. If He is, everything matters. So would you go into this new year acknowledging Jesus as your king? And then would you seek him above all else? Would you let go of everything else that you are seeking and seek him above all? And you will be surprised at what he will give you back if you will do that. And then would you surrender your life to him? And that just simply means that you just live with your hands up and say, Lord Jesus, here I am. Use me for your glory and your purposes. Now, why would I ask you to do that? Because nothing else in this world can save your eternal soul. Nothing else. No one else except Jesus. So as a church, as we go into a new year, my commitment to you is that Jesus Christ would be exalted above everything we do. Jesus and Jesus alone. Let's pray. Father, this is my commitment to you. And Lord, may I speak for this body of believers that it would be our commitment that we would acknowledge you as our King and then that we would live accordingly. Lord, I pray for those who are holding on to things that you would give them the courage to let go, to surrender, and to follow you. Because we are still seeking you, Father. And the way to you is through Jesus. Thank you for your plan. Thank you for carrying the plan out now, Lord, would you help us to live in your plan and let it be for your glory. Through Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for listening. And if you would like to know more about how you can follow Jesus in everyday life, we would love to help you with that. You can find our contact information in the show notes down below or on our website at fbcamericas.org. And tune in next week for a new year of new sermons.